You're listening to the Cougar Talk Podcast, hosted by Dylan McMinn and Chris Isaacson. Welcome to the Cougar Talk Podcast, where we talk all things BYU football and all things college football in general, where we have episodes every week where we preview BYU's upcoming opponent and do a review of BYU's previous opponent. Now, I'm Dylan McMinn, at Cert Opinion on Twitter. Joining me today is my good friend, Chris. Chris, how's it going? It's going good. Thank you. It's good to be here. So we had a very interesting week two in the world of college football, especially for BYU. I think interesting is kind of the right word. A lot of shocking you know, developments in the game, a lot of things that we did not expect. So let's go ahead and just kick it right off and dive into our review of the Sam Houston game that we had in week one. We're going to go over what we thought went wrong, what kind of went right, and some different details like that. So starting with what we thought went wrong. Now, I have a few things that I noted literally as I was watching this. And the first one that stood out to me like a sore thumb was penalties. We had so many penalties against BYU that stalled our drives, that were on third downs, that made it third and long for us. And it killed our offensive momentum. Any little bit of momentum that we had was usually killed by a penalty. Now, total in the game, BYU had eight penalties for 66 yards. And penalties are expected for, you know, the first game of the season. We have a lot of new guys and a new coaching staff. But where we are at home against a team like Sam Houston, those penalties have got to get better. We cannot be having those penalties, especially on those key third downs, those drive-changing plays. But that was kind of the story of every drive it felt like, where we would be doing something pretty good, get it to a third and manageable, and then we'd have a pretty dumb penalty like a false start, like a holding, things like that. And the reason that this stands out to me a lot is because I don't have the numbers for it, but it felt like majority of those penalties were against our offensive line, which as BYU fans, we're not really used to that. We're used to having a very kept together, a very well-built offensive line that does not get penalized a lot. And a lot of these were just things like a false start or like a holding that wasn't necessary for the play to develop. And you know, it was very frustrating to watch. So that was the very first thing that stood out to me that really went wrong for BYU in that win against Sam Houston was those penalties. Yeah, not just with penalties, but the offensive line in general. It felt like there was a lot of rust coming into the year. We did have four positions that had oars listed on the depth chart for the starters. And so we were kind of cycling through some linemen, trying to figure out who was starting, who was going to get the majority of snaps. And it just felt like they weren't really cohesive as a unit, which is where a lot of those penalties come from. Guys picking up free blitzers or rushers that somebody didn't pick up, getting a holding penalty or just not releasing on disengagements. Just... Lots of kind of fundamental mistakes that can be fixed easily. But what I also wanted to talk about was the run blocking. BYU's offensive line had four players with a PFF run block grade below a 54, which this is technically a scale to 100, where typically the best players will sit right around 90. So 54 is really rough. And so the offensive line could not get any push on Sam Houston's defensive line. They usually had one or two linebackers in all the rushing lanes every single time. So that whole first half when we couldn't run the ball, it's just 
there was no, it was nothing against the running back specifically, but there was just nowhere for them to run. So the offensive line needs to become a staple of this team and needs to become a strength if we're going to have any success on offense. Everything starts in the trenches, and these guys have to get it together fast. And that's kind of, you know, what really I felt like started the hiccups with our offense on Saturday was the offensive line and the run blocking specifically. You know, we had that first drive where it felt like we were rolling. We were going to go into this game, score a lot of points very quickly. We scored our opening drive to make it 7-0. to zero, And then we didn't score the rest of the half. And we didn't score until the second half to make it 14-0. And then nothing else the rest of the game. And so, you know, a final score of 14-0 to zero is, you know, understandably a little bit disappointing for BYU fans, especially with how that offensive line played. Now, I do want to also point out specifically, you mentioned all of the ORs that are listed on that depth chart for our offensive line. Something that I thought was very interesting was there was not a single player on that offensive line that played the same position on the offensive line that they've played in the past specifically. So Connor Pay, he moved from center to guard. We had Kingsley, who moved from right tackle to left tackle. Caleb Etienne, he was his first season, it's his first season at BYU. He moved to that right tackle spot. So, you know, these guys really do, as you mentioned, need to build that, you know, momentum back a little bit. They need to be that staple in this offense. It all needs to start with the offensive line, specifically for the run game. And I think our offense needs to start with that run game and be a staple based off of our run game because of what we saw from Slovis. Now, Slovis, it's, you know, his his whole career has been kind of just up and down. You know, he did pretty good at USC. He had some good weapons there, though. And then he had a few off years with injury. You know, we had COVID happen. And then he lost some QB battles. And then he transfers to Pitt where, you know, Pitt gets him a new offensive coordinator that's vastly different than the offensive coordinator he thought he was going to end up playing for. You know, they had some of their big weapons transfer out, specifically Jordan Addison transferred out to USC, ironically. And so a lot of people counted Slovis out. Now, I am one of the people all offseason where I was hyping him up. I, you know, thought he could really be the guy for BYU. And in just a moment, I'll go over if I still think that or not. But that was one of the big things that I also think went wrong in this specific week one matchup against Sam Houston. You know, Slovis as a senior has a little bit higher expectations built up for him. And I think that's totally fair. I felt like throughout the game, he felt almost late to his reads. He kind of almost felt panicked and uncomfortable the whole game. Felt like he was making passes a second too late. And at the end of the day, he only ended with 145 yards and a 26.7 QBR. And those are not the numbers you would expect from a, you know, fifth year senior quarterback who's played for other P5 schools in the first game against a new FBS team like Sam Houston. Now, of course, you got to give Sam Houston some credit. They did play good against us and they have a good defense, but I think a lot of those stalls started from maybe a mistake or a slower read from Keaton Slovis. Yeah, and I do want to give him a little bit of credit on some things. His completion percentage was over 60%. And from what I would see, from what I could see at the game, 
the receivers were having a very hard time separating. Sam Houston's defense, I feel like, caught them off guard a little bit. The pass defense and the secondary specifically were able to really get up on them, make contact, and not let them really stem off their routes. And so without the receivers getting open, Keaton did have a hard time finding them. He did have some opportunities that he missed on. And we are seeing how good of a deep ball thrower Jaron Hall was last year, because now that that's missing, you can tell exactly the difference that made. But Keaton Slovis, I feel, did about as well as you could have expected based on at least what I was seeing from the receivers. Obviously, it was not a great performance by anyone scoring 14 points, but I feel like Keaton Slovis has all the talent to be able to get back on track and to be able to start playing well, but it starts with the receivers and finding ways to get open and get off the press and things like that. So I would love to see some improvement from the receivers this week as well and really finding a way to find some big plays and get past DBs in the secondary there. And, you know, like you said, to Keaton's credit, a lot of it wasn't entirely his fault. You know, there are things he could have done better, but there were also definitely things the rest of our offensive offense could have done better and that leads to kind of just like my last overall point of what I think went wrong in our week one matchup and that was just a lack of effort or intensity from the entire offense as a whole you know it was talked about by you know Trevor Maidich on BYU Sports Nation that this offensive line looked very sloppy they looked very sluggish and they looked like they were lacking a lot of that effort And that is a very solid point by someone who knows that position better than most people do. This offensive line did not look like they were ready to play. The receivers, as you mentioned, they were struggling getting open, giving Keaton a good look. You know, our run game struggled for the majority of this game. And our, you know, passing game struggled as well. And to me, I personally think that kind of goes up to the coaches a little bit. I think, you know, it comes down to them having the team ready for this week one matchup. And I felt that from the defense, did not feel that from the offense at all. There was felt like a lack of preparation. It felt like they kind of overlooked Sam Houston, which is easy to do with the kind of season we have upcoming. But that's on the coaches to right the ship a little bit and make sure our offense is locked in. Everybody's focused and ready to go. And, and that's also something that I want to bring up that's been talked about all this week since the game was from the coaches. I actually really love kind of their response to the results of that game. You know, I felt like last season it was kind of flipped. We had our offense killing it, as Chris mentioned. You know, we lucked out kind of and got used to having Jaron throwing the deep ball with Puka at the other end of it, receiving it. and. You know, it felt like our defense was the reason that we struggled last season. But after every game that our defense struggled, it felt like there was some excuse. You know, I don't want to call out specific names, but certain people on that coaching staff on the defensive side of the ball, I felt like it was a lot of just from them, you know, this team brought this look that we weren't expecting. Or, you know, this team had, you know, this that they caused for us. Just all these different excuses for why the defense might not have done very good. Now this season, at least so far, it's only been a week, but it feels like it was the exact opposite of that. Every interview I've seen so far with Kalani, every interview I've seen so far with A-Rod has been them owning up to that. You know, not trying to make any excuse and just straight up admitting, you know, we played bad. We did not do 
what we expected to do. We did not meet the level of expectations we have for ourselves. Kalani specifically called the offensive line out for, you know, not playing that championship type of football that they should be playing and are able to play. And that is what I actually want to call out that I really loved from the coaching staff in response to the struggles of that week one matchup. They said it how it was. They recognized it. And that makes me believe that this isn't going to be a recurring issue for BYU specifically. Yeah, I love that there. I just love the overall accountability and the the kind of sense of discipline that you can kind of feel going around. So I, I love that we, the coaches are fired up. Everybody's fired up. They want to play better. They know that they can play better. And I think we are going to see some improvements going into week two. And Speaking of improvements, uh, I kind of wanted to go over what went right this week. You did, you talked about what went wrong first, so now I would like to see what's right. In your opinion, outside of the defense in general, or maybe the defense in general, what do you think BYU did right last week? Well, I think the defense is the very easy answer for what went right. So we'll get into that in just a minute because there's plenty to go over with how good the defense was. But to start with what went right, There is one name that I'm going to say that I think everybody who is listening to this is going to not be surprised I'm saying this name, probably guessing we're going to talk about him. But LJ Martin, man. I mean, the last time I remember feeling so excited about a freshman running back, true freshman going into BYU and making such a difference early on was Jamal Williams. And we all know how it turned out with Jamal. And I am getting very similar vibes from LJ and just the fact that he is a true freshman that came into the game. He stepped up into a role that was very needed while our offense was struggling. You know, we couldn't get the run established with Aiden Robbins. We couldn't get it established with Dion. And that's not necessarily a knock at those guys, but it shows a lot more about how great of a player LJ Martin actually is. And in our preseason preview, actually, I brought him up specifically. Maybe it was preseason, maybe it was last week. But I brought him up specifically because it was already impressive that he was included in that three-deep roster in the running back room. And I think this week he just proved exactly why. He just has a natural instinct for the game. He read the holes completely correctly. I don't think he got tackled for loss at all. I think the smallest run he had was one yard but it was one where he was met in the backfield and he just pushed forward, fell forward and got at least a yard to turn a broken play into a gain, even a short gain. And so I think that is the biggest positive takeaway from the offense last week was LJ Martin. Of course, you know, it's an obvious answer, but how can we not talk about him after his performance? Just for anybody who may not have watched the game specifically or anything like that, I mean, LJ finished the game with 16 carries, 91 yards, with the longest run of being 21 yards, which was actually the longest play from scrimmage that we had all game. And the crazy part about that stat line is it might not be completely impressive just reading off the paper, might not jump out to you immediately if you didn't watch the game, but his first touch, he got the ball halfway through the third quarter. That was the first time he touched the ball, so it wasn't even an entire half of a game. It was like a quarter and a half of the game. And he had numbers like that. Imagine the numbers he could have if he had an entire game of getting those opportunities, getting the ball, and making those plays. 
Now, Chris, I want to hear from you now. You know, that was one of my major things of what went right for this team. I want to hear from you what you thought went right. Yeah, so I'm going to go right to defense. I mean, obviously the defense pitched a shutout. We all know that the defense was the star of the show this first week. But there were specific things I did want to talk about. First of all, the preparation was incredible. Uh, we lost Talon Alfrey uh, pretty recently before the game, and so I feel that the, the scheme had to shift a little bit there. I made the prediction uh, a couple episodes ago that BYU would probably run some single high safety with cover three, cover one, running man coverage, letting the corners do their job, and boy was that the plan. I, I was charting some of the plays as I was watching while I was at the game, and BYU ran cover one, man coverage, more than 50% of the snaps they were out there. And so they really let the cornerbacks work. The first interception that Jacob Robinson had in the end zone was just a perfectly played. He saw the pick route coming. He avoided the pick, read the quarterback's eyes, played it beautifully. And the man coverage shows this year. These corners can cover and they can cover well. They are going to be the strong suit of this BYU defense all year long. And that's not going to change. And then the other thing I wanted to talk about was the play of the linebackers. Both Ben Bywater and Max Tooley finished with nine tackles. The defensive line still does need some work. They they lost contain on some plays, and they, they're still going to have a hard time generating pressure on their own. But the play of the linebackers behind them to back them up stepped up to the challenge. Uh, both, like I said, Tooley and Bywater were in the backfield. They were making plays. They were stuffing run gaps. Overall, just playing assignment sound football. Everybody is executing their job, and it just feels like a well-oiled machine on defense. These guys are going to surprise a lot of people in the Big 12, and I am very excited for it. I love that you, you know, at the end you mentioned we could surprise people because genuinely, if we can get our offense figured out and get to a higher level with the offense, this defense is going to make it so we can compete, compete with almost anybody in the Big 12 specifically. You know, I won't go as far as saying anybody in the entire nation, but we can compete with any of the high-level teams in this conference with because of our defense specifically. Now, I also love that you mentioned preparation because I think it was Ben Bywater said in his post game that this is the most prepared they have ever felt for a game defensively. And that is absolutely opposite of what we heard last year. It felt like, you know, as I mentioned before, there are always excuses of, you know, well, this team brought a look that we weren't ready for. This week one matchup against Sam Houston was actually one of the bigger question marks of the season. It was hard to predict what Sam Houston was going to look like because there was so much unknown about them. And the fact that our defense felt more prepared for this game than they ever had past games that actually tells me a lot about Jay Hill. I think he deserves a lot of credit about that and or a lot of credit for that. I just love hearing from our players that they felt prepared. They were ready for all those plays. You know, taking a look at the stat sheet, I believe we had, you know, I think it was six tackles for loss total. Yeah, six tackles for loss in the entire game. We had one sack, which is great for a week one game. You know, it takes a couple games for the in the past for BYU to get stats like that. You know, I think it took a few weeks for us to even record a sack last season. But we got the, you know, those numbers in week one, which is fantastic and says a lot about the preparation of this team. Also having, you know, three turnovers, that, of course, doesn't hurt that at all either. 
you know, I actually mentioned in last week's episode, my hot take was that BYU would get three turnovers, force three turnovers the entire game. And boy, am I glad that that hot take was correct because we needed those, especially as you mentioned that first pick that was played perfectly by Jacob Robinson. Yeah, so to finish up this what went right section, I just want to get your opinion. Who was your offensive player of the game? So my offensive player of the game is going to be an obvious pick. You know, you might have a little bit of a different one, but for me, we have to give him a shout out because of the role he stepped up in, the situation, and how good he played. For me, the offensive player of the game was absolutely LJ Martin. He stepped up when the team needed him most. There were multiple times, you know, specifically in the fourth quarter, I can think of where we were pinned back deep against our own end zone because of a great punt by Sam Houston. And we handed the ball off to him. He made the right read, powered through, broke some tackles, and he got us out of that uncomfortable spot on the field. So I have to give it to LJ Martin. He stepped up and showed a lot of maturity, showed a lot of, you know, high football IQ and just a lot of game in general. Yeah, absolutely there. LJ Martin is the correct pick for offensive player of the game. There is one player I did want to give a shout out to as well. Uh, It was Mason Fakahua. He is listed as the fullback, the starting fullback for the team. And he quietly had four catches for 27 yards and was a key blocking piece on some of LJ Martin's runs there in the second half. I noticed him as as the second half was going on and I just wanted to give him a little shout out because I thought he played very well and helped a sputtering offense at least find some life there. All right, then moving to the defensive side of the ball here. I think I know who you're going to pick as well, but let's hear your defensive player of the game. My defensive player of the game is the person I picked actually last week in my prediction to be the defensive player of the game. So got to give myself just a little bit of a pat on the back there, but it's got to be Jacob Robinson. I mean, any player that comes away with a matchup against any team with two interceptions They deserve the defensive player of the game almost automatically. He could have had all three interceptions actually this game. There was one pass that was deep down and him and Malik Moore were both there in coverage. Malik was the one that made the play on the ball. He barely dropped that pick. And if he hadn't though, if he wasn't there, Jacob would have been there himself, got that pick as well, possibly got that pick. And so he could have very well had three interceptions this game. And I believe they targeted targeted him 13 times. He only allowed, what was it, five completions? Yeah, I'm pretty sure I saw that. If someone listening to this knows the actual stat and wants to correct me, go for it. Let us know. But either way, it was very impressive. They kept targeting him. He kept, you know, he kept interrupting those passes. He just really stepped up, made those plays when we needed them most, specifically when we went for that fake punt in our own territory. They completely sniffed it out and stopped us. It was a very, it was a failure of a play, to put it bluntly. And Sam Houston was looking to score off of that. He was the one that stopped that. He made that great interception in the end zone. He got up for it. So I think it's you know pretty, it's a pretty easy pick to have it be Jacob Robinson, but he absolutely 100% deserves it. Yeah, I 100% agree with that. Jacob Robinson had the game of his life. He was actually the pro football focus's number one graded cornerback in all of college football for week one. So shout out to Jacob Robinson there. And I did want to point out his second interception that may or may not have been a catch 
was played perfectly. If you watch it back, it is the perfect teach tape for young DBs looking to get better at playing corner. He's in cover three, his zone is deep, his receiver breaks off right at about 10 yards, and he reads it immediately, is looking at the quarterback's eyes, breaks downhill. It's just like a practice drill. It's just, I've watched it at least 10 times. It's one of the most beautiful interceptions I have ever seen from a BYU player. So did want to shout that out. Uh, for my defensive player of the game, if I had to pick somebody, I'm going to go Max Tooley. He ended the game with nine tackles tied with Ben Bywater for most and had seven of those being solo tackles. It's kind of hard to pick between him and Bywater. Both of them were so good, but Max Tooley was making a lot of plays around the edges, limiting big runs that could have gone for even more had he missed tackles. And he was very solid around the edges, sure tackler, and he was one of the biggest parts of that defense, not allowing anything in the run game. That goes to show really how good this defense was entirely. And that kind of goes into my next point of just the fact that this defense is different than last year's defense. We have some of the same playmakers like Max Tooley, like Ben Bywater, Jacob Robinson. But then we also have the new guys. We have AJ Camden. We have Eddie. And one of the biggest things that stood out to me, as you mentioned, when you, when you mentioned Max's solo tackles, one of the big things that I loved seeing from this game was those open field tackles. Chris, you you counted it out and you you told me before that we had a total of two missed tackles the entire game, which BYU's defense last year, I would have paid so much money for us to only have two missed tackles in a game. It felt like anybody could run the ball on us and we would miss endless amounts of tackles in the open field. So clearly the tackling school is maybe just having a delayed effect and helping us now, but more likely we were just prepared. We were a lot more fundamentally sound and it was so fun to watch just seeing how assignment sound we were, how fundamentally sound we were with those open field tackles. And this defense really just feels so much different. And to the point of, you know, I've heard it mentioned by a lot of people. I've mentioned it myself. This defense was fun to watch, and I don't know about anybody who's listening to this. I don't know about you, Chris. When I watch football, I don't look forward to watching defense for anybody. I love high-scoring, high-powered offensive games, but I was actually excited to watch our defense because it was such a breath of fresh air. Yeah, I just like the the defense is different is a good motto to have. I love the thought that this is not the same old BYU. We're not going to give up third and longs. We're not going to give up broken tackles and big touchdowns on quarterbacks not going down like we saw against Arkansas last year. The defense being different is going to be the theme of this season. I, on that same point, there is, of course, another thing that we need to bring up just in that same direction. And that's the fact that this offense is different as well. We got very accustomed to having a quarterback in our system like Zach Wilson, Jaron Hall, heck, even Baylor Romney when he played, where we were a threat with those deep downfield passes. I think this offense feels a little bit different than that, even in kind of a different direction. It felt like in this week one matchup, and not to just keep rehashing on this, but this is you know an actual problem that came up again and again, our old line almost had no push. As you mentioned, they had defenders shooting the gaps constantly and we couldn't pick them up. We couldn't make the blocks. And so we were struggling on offense. You know, our quarterback was late on some reads. Our receivers weren't getting the separation. 
that we're accustomed to, that we're used to. And, you know, there are some outside factors into this. You know, we have the fact that a lot of our offense, this was their very first game in our system, our very first game in, you know, Provo in general. We also have some outside factors as in, you know, we had a couple family tragedies happen for, you know, a player on the team and a coach on the team. And those, those outside factors do play a role in this. And we also had guys out like Cody, Keanu, they didn't see the field. Those things do add up and do affect this offense. But outside of that, just the general vibes of the offense felt a little bit different. It felt a little bit lower energy than we're used to. And that's something that does need to get picked up as we go throughout the rest of this season. Yeah, and with all those concerns on the offense being different, I just want to know, should we be concerned? In your eyes, is week one enough to be concerned or should we hold off a little bit longer and give the offense a chance to really show us what they can do? The reason, you know, this is even a question, I think, is because a lot of people are making comparisons to the 2017 week one matchup we had against Portland State, where I think the final score is about 20 to three. It was a very, you know, kind of a disappointing showing by BYU in that game offensively. And that kind of was a sneak preview into the rest of that season. You know, we lost to UMass in 2017, the the season that BYU fans avoid talking about. Now, a lot of people were saying, you know, live in the game and even after the game, that this game gave some 2017 Portland State vibes. And I disagree with that. And my answer to the question of should we be concerned is not yet. Now, The reason this was mostly different than 2017 Portland State to me is, one, 2017, we had some hype around that team. We had some expectations for that offense, and they were expected to go in with some experienced players. This season is not the same. We have a lot of guys with experience, but they are not experienced with BYU specifically. We have a a lot of new players coming in. We have a lot of new coaches coming in. And I also think this is very drastically different because not only were we missing some guys that are key to our offense, but this Sam Houston game might've been the easiest game for BYU players to overlook. I mean, to me, when I imagine being a player on this team, I'm not looking forward to our matchup against Sam Houston. I'm not looking forward to our matchup against Southern Utah. I'm looking forward to Arkansas. I'm looking forward to Oklahoma and Texas, our Big 12 matchups. This is our first season in the Big 12. We're, of course, going to be looking ahead to those games. So I do think that made a big difference in this as well. So just overall, I think that there were enough outside factors in this or enough you know, little things that made our offense struggle in week one that I am not yet concerned about our level of play. Now, if this continues, that will change for me. I will get some concern if it continues, especially against Southern Utah. But I do think that this offense deserves more chances to show what they really can do. The potential of our offense is a lot higher than we saw on the field on Saturday night. And I'm not going to hit the panic button quite yet. You know, I'm hovering over it just in case it, you know, is a repeated issue in the coming weeks but right now I am not concerned quite yet 
with with that all said, you know, we've identified a lot of things that went wrong for us. We have a lot of things for this team to work on. And, you know, we were kind of blunt with what went wrong and we, you know, called out some specific position groups. But the whole point of football is to move on to, you know, if you have a hard loss or if even a hard win, an exciting win, the ups and downs, you got to move on to the next week. So moving on to this next week's matchup, we have SUU at home. It's going to be a 1 p.m. Mountain Time kickoff. I believe it's going to be streamed on ESPN+. Plus. The team is going to be wearing an all-Navy uniform combo with new Navy helmets. I think it's a clean look, um, but they have asked fans specifically to still wear Royal. Um, we're not going to necessarily dive into all of the online arguments or controversy around what fans are wearing for this game because, yes, that is still a thing. We had that with the Stripes. We're going to have that with Royal probably every game we have that fans are asked to wear a specific thing. But, Chris, I do want to hear from you. What are your thoughts on this uniform combo in general? We have that new Navy helmet. It looks a little bit different than the past Navy helmet we've worn. What are your thoughts on it? Yeah, I don't know if I'm in the majority or minority here, but I absolutely love the all-royal uniforms. I remember the first time I saw them in person against Boise State last year. Game didn't end up great, but we looked so good. And so I like the changes that they've made. I like the little royal speckle on the shiny helmet. I think that's going to look very good. And I'm a big fan. I mean, I love the royal. I still think royal should be our primary color. But I do think we should be running out navy two to three times a year, home or away, whichever we like because that is still a part of BYU. And these all Navy uniforms, they do a really good job making them look clean. So I'm excited to see what they look like on the field. I'm, I'm on the same page as you. I actually, on my desk here at home, I have a miniature helmet and it's a Navy helmet. And, you know, I, I'm completely on board with running out these all Navy uniforms. I love the look of the Navy helmet. Even the past one that was more of a, you know, satin finish to it, not quite glossy, not quite matte. Even that one I really liked. This one I like even more with that glossy finish. I would love to see it with a white face mask, but even with the navy face mask, it just looks so good. So I am also excited for that. Now, jumping into the actual you know X's and O's of this game, we have our matchup against Southern Utah. You know, the last time we played Southern Utah, I believe, was 2016 with Taysom Hill. We won that game pretty easily. Now, SUU, in their week one matchup, you probably heard about this because it was kind of a headliner game for the fact that they almost beat Pac-12 team Arizona State. It was kind of a weird game. There was a three-hour delay at halftime due to a sandstorm, which is such an Arizona thing to happen in a game. But by the end of it, SUU hung in the game. They had a chance to win it, but they lost 24-21. to It was a close game. And there were a lot of crazy things that happened in there. SUU blocked a punt and returned it for a touchdown. They, you know, had a pretty good showing offensively just in general. And they hung with Arizona State and made it to the end of the game with a shot to win. So I I think that was kind of one of the crazier matchups of week one. Yeah, absolutely. That game ended up going to about 2, 2 a.m., and so there were very few people that stayed up and watched it. I attempted to, but managed to fall asleep in the third quarter. But I think you made it all the way through the end, and you got yourself a good game there. So 
SUU is going to look to surprise some people. They are a better team than a lot of people give them credit for, and BYU cannot overlook them. BYU's front lines should dominate. SUU's defensive line is one of their weaknesses, and so with the BYU offensive line looking to get into a groove and looking to figure things out, this is the week that that needs to happen. So I'm going to be looking for them to have massive improvements this week, and hopefully that opens up the run game, which can then open up the passing game. I'm going to look for BYU's wide receivers to kind of take advantage of a, of a worse secondary than we would see from Sam Houston State. Hoping to see some separation, see some good routes, good releases, and to be able to get guys open in space to where they can catch the ball and run. SUU does do more things more average than Sam Houston. So their highs are a little bit lower, but their lows are a little bit higher. They're a more well-balanced and diverse team. And so the looks they give on offense are going to be pretty similar to the looks that BYU has on their offense as well. So hopefully the defense seeing those looks in practice against the offense is going to bode well for us to be able to have another good defensive showing. So those are my thoughts on SUU. I do think they are going to put up a fight, but I do expect BYU to come in and take care of business and to be able to show why we are a Big 12 team. Absolutely. And I love that you pointed out, you know, getting that run game established because one thing I noticed, you know, I was one of those crazies that stayed up until about 2 a.m. watching last week's matchup between SUU and ASU. But one thing that I noticed was whenever ASU had success with their run game specifically, it seemed to come from their running back. Um, probably butchering this name, but Cameron Scadabo. He had 17 carries for 71 yards and a touchdown which again, isn't too thrilling of a stat sheet just on the paper, but watching him, every time he got the ball, he ran with a lot of speed and a lot of power. He was very aggressive. And so I think that's going to be one of the big things to you know, go against this SUU defense is they, they try to be the more aggressive, the more strong you know, team on the field. BYU just has to outmatch them in that. But they they kind of struggled against a strong, hard running offense like that. Um, also, specifically, you mentioned, you know, opening up the pass game and getting their separation. You know, in their week one matchup, Jaden Rashada, the Arizona State quarterback, was 18 for 31 with 236 yards and two touchdowns. You know, that's a that's a pretty good stat sheet there. And a big part of that was because the SUU secondary is a little bit smaller. There were a lot of mismatches that Arizona State took advantage of. So I would love to see some of our taller receivers, our bigger receivers, you know, get some good looks there and create that separation for some hopefully big passing plays. Another thing that I do want to point out about someone that's very important for this SUU team is their quarterback. Starting at quarterback, they have Justin Miller. Now, Justin Miller is from Highland, Utah. He is a senior, and he has spent his entire career at SUU. So he's very familiar with their offense. He's very comfortable with their offense. You know, just a few stats for you. You know, he had a little bit of an off year in 2021. But last season, his touchdown to interception ratio was 20 to 8. In 2020, that ratio was 15 to 4. So Justin Miller is a pretty decent quarterback, especially at the FCS level. You know, he makes good decisions. He has the athletic ability to do so. 
Last season, he was only, you know, he's less than 200 yards short of 3,000 passing yards on the season. So, you know, this is going to be a little bit different of a quarterback situation for BYU than we saw against Sam Houston. Sam Houston had a new quarterback that was fighting for that starting position. The quarterback that did start had played for Sam Houston before, but he was still a little bit younger, wasn't as much of a threat as Justin Miller can be against this BYU defense. So he is one of the other players that we'll want to make sure we watch for against SUU this week for BYU's matchup. Now moving on to the other side of things, who is week two BYU going to be? So we, we kind of got a look into week one BYU, and a lot of fans are not completely thrilled with week one BYU. So that's why I'm going to call this specifically week two BYU. I think we are going to be a little bit different in week two. Specifically, I think we can expect a different offense. Not entirely in scheme or approach, but just in intensity with effort, especially with our offensive line. You know, the coaches, as I mentioned before, they admitted that this was not a good showing. They identified that they need a lot of improvement. And I trust that there's going to be a lot of, of improvement that we see after a week of practice. Um, another thing that I do want to point out is a lot of fans are saying, you know, maybe let's start LJ. He did so good in our week one game when Aiden and Dion maybe didn't have as good of a game as they would have hoped. Now, from the past, you know, I do not expect BYU to start LJ. Last season, Chris Brooks had a stretch where he struggled, but Miles Davis or Hinkley Rapati played fantastic. But Chris Brooks still got the start as long as he was healthy. And I think we're going to see that same thing, and I am just fine with that. You know, Robbins should still be RB1. Dion should still get a lot of snaps, but I do think that we do see LJ a lot more and a lot sooner. But we can't just brush Aiden Robbins off after the week one performance he had. You know, it wasn't a terrible game, but, you know, we did struggle getting any yards with him at running back. I think that was kind of just a first game situation, and I do expect this week to be a good bounce back game for him specifically. But those are kind of some changes that I expect to see specifically with this offense. Chris, do you want to add anything for the offensive side specifically? Yeah, so I've talked a lot about the offensive line. and want to see that better. I think with the passing game, we really need to lean into being more of a West Coast kind of scheme. We already were a little bit on last Saturday, just throwing little crossing routes and check downs, trying to spread the field left and right rather than deep. I think that'll help us a lot if we're going to be able to get the ball in space, let receivers run with the ball. And that way the deep ball doesn't have to be as accurate or precise because you're not relying on throwing balls deep as much as you are spreading the field wide. So I think we will lean into that a little bit more and we'll try and open up some of the passing game that way. And I think Keaton Slovis is going to be really good. He did show flashes. There was one throw as a 10-yard out to the far hash. I think it was in the third quarter where he looked like a pro quarterback. For that one throw, you could see the potential that everyone had. So I do expect to see a lot more of that spreading the field out and trying to get the offense going that way. And, and just in general, this should be the week that we see these good changes for the offense. You know, it's a easier team with Southern Utah. You never want to overlook these teams, but this is the perfect situation that we would want after last week's showing and just the fact that we have an opportunity to get into a good flow 
find a good rhythm and really get those new players, especially Keaton, a little bit more comfortable in our offense and behind the offensive line. Now, on the defensive side of the ball, Chris, I'm curious if you think we're going to see any changes. Are we going to be seeing the same thing? Who is week two BYU on the defensive side of the ball for you? Week two BYU is identical to week one BYU. You've found a scheme that works. You're running single high safety 80 plus percent of the time with Malik Moore back there and letting Ethan Slade kind of come down more into the box to help out with the run game and to play zones underneath. You let the corners do their job. You let them keep their eyes on the quarterback. You let them play man coverage. You keep it the exact same and let the players that you know have the talent do the work. So I think week two BYU is going to be identical to week one on defense and that that's going to stay consistent throughout almost the entire season or at least until Talon Alfred comes back. And I I have to agree with that, especially even in terms of just intensity and overall effort. And the main reason that I think that it will be the same is because of Jay Hill. Jay Hill coached at the FCS level, as we all know, with Weber State. He is very aware of how good these FCS teams can be. So he's not going to overlook any opponent. He's going to take every game the same. He's going to have that same approach with preparation. And I think that at the end of next week, we're going to have our defense saying the same thing, where they felt very prepared for the Southern Utah team. Southern Utah has a lot more tape to work off of than Sam Houston might have. So even more so, I would hope that our defense is prepared. They know what to be looking for. And we can have some great plays made by our defense. One last thing that I do want to address is with week two BYU is special teams. We all love Ryan Rico. We love the punter hero story. We don't love the situation of him being brought out, but he was insane out there. He was launching those punts like it it was insane. Like I literally cannot physically comprehend how you can kick a ball that far like he does and make it look so effortlessly. So big shout out to Ryan Rico. You know, he won the Ray Guy Punter of the Week this past week. He's killing it. Unfortunately, I do not want to see him next week. I hope we see a lot less Ryan Rico. I do not want to see, you know, a lot of special teams involved with punting the ball away. The only special teams that I really hope to see is specifically field goals after a touch or field goals or PATs after touchdowns. That's really the only special teams that I want to be watching in this game. But, you know, of course, if Ryan gets out there for a drive or two, I'm not completely against that. Chris, if anybody does not know, Chris actually, I think, is someone who could be on a special teams unit in college football. You know, he doesn't share about it or boast about it as much as he should, but Chris is actually a crazy good kicker with football. Um, Maybe I can talk him into showing off some of his stuff. But Chris, I'm curious from your side of things, just with special teams in general, um, any familiarity you might have with it, what what do you expect with this week two BYU team with special teams specifically? Yeah, so like you said, I also hope that we don't see Ryan Rico as much. I would like to see Will Farron get out there maybe once or twice, just give him a few kicks in lower pressure situations if we can get to that point. He, I was watching him in warm-ups last week because, as you said, I, I do enjoy kicking. I'm not that great at it, but I can hit some, some deep kicks maybe 20% of the time. 
but Will Farron, he made a 65-yarder in warm-ups, and I don't believe I saw him miss once when I was watching. So I would like to see him get some more tries where they're not offsides and cheating while taking him out. But that's one thing I'd like to see. And one shout-out I would like to give on the special team side of the ball is Marcus McKenzie. He's He was one of the gunners, and he was kind of unheralded coming into the season. But he made a couple great plays on special teams, getting past his guy, getting straight to the returner, making sure tackles, and he had a great game there. So did want to shout out Marcus McKenzie. I hope to see more from him. I hope he keeps doing his job because he was a he was very fun to watch. That was, I think, my favorite like pairing of week one was Ryan Rico out there with Marcus McKenzie. You know, like you said, he was all over the field when he was on punk coverage. And it was so fun to watch, as you mentioned. And hopefully, you know, this is going to keep earning him some more minutes, you know, outside of special teams. But for now, we will take anything like that that we can get. Now, looking at our matchup here, I want to talk a little bit about some keys to the game for success for BYU and then some of our predictions. So for my keys to the game, I really think we need to get the pass game going You know, we can establish the run game. We have proven that in the past, in past seasons. I want to prove it more this game. And based off of that, I want us to really use that to get the pass game going. I want us to start having those receivers show the talent we know they have, get separation, be making some good plays, especially because I think this game may not necessarily be close, but this could actually be one of the most important games of the season. That's kind of a hot take. But I think it's the most important game of the season just for the fact that we can really take advantage of this matchup to get our guys comfortable. And a big part of that is going to be the run game. And then also on the other side of the ball, just that same intensity on defense. I don't see SUU scoring enough to beat us at all as long as we keep that same intensity on defense, approach the game that same way like I do think we will. So those are going to be my big keys to the game. Chris, you want to go ahead and talk about yours? Yeah, absolutely. My offensive keys to the game, it's just going to be one. It is dominate the time of possession. I want BYU's offense to stay on the field for just about 40 minutes of this game. I want us to be able to get first downs, move the chains, be able to hold on to the ball, give the defense a break, and to be able to sustain long drives. That's what I want to see from the offense. Even if we don't score as many points, if we are able to sustain long drives, I will feel a lot more confident about them going into the future weeks. And then with the defense, like you said, just keep that same intensity. I would honestly hope for another shutout. I know I might be no, I might be hoping for too much, but I would love to see them shut out teams two weeks in a row. That would really be a surprise for me, a pleasant surprise. But I think they can do it, and I would love to see them just shut down SUU completely there. Now that kind of leads into our predictions for this game. We're going to do the same thing we did last week. We're going to have predictions for our offensive player of the game, defensive player of the game, final score predictions, and a hot take. So starting off, my offensive player of the game prediction, you know, I'm hoping kind of for a bounce back game by Keaton Slovis. So I'm going to predict that he does have it. I am thinking he'll have some, you know, at least his first passing touchdown at BYU, hopefully multiple. We've seen that BYU does want to be using him in the running game just a little bit with some certain reads. So I think Keaton is going to have a great bounce back game. It's the perfect situation for one. 
I think he's going to be the offensive player of the game. On the defensive side of the ball, I'm actually going to switch over to the linebackers a little bit, and I'm going to predict that Ben Bywater is going to be the defensive player of the game. I expect him to have lots of tackles, especially where SUU tries to do some outside runs. They like screen passes to their running back. I would love to see Ben in the middle of all of that, getting lots of tackles and even potentially forcing a turnover. So those are going to be my player of the game predictions. Final score prediction. You know, this is definitely adjusted a little bit than what, have I, what I would have initially guessed before last week. I think we're looking around a score of 35-7. to 7. That's not a huge, you know, blowout. Well, it kind of is a blowout, but it's not a huge offensive game, but it is enough to where I would be satisfied with our offensive improvement from week to week. You know, our defense, I expect them to do great again. Not quite a shutout, but I think we don't let them score more than once. So with that said, that leads into my hot take for the game. My hot take is that BYU's defense holds SUU to less than 200 total yards of offense. So my hot take is that SUU does not have more than 200 yards of offense combined between passing and rushing yards. My offensive player of the game, I also think that the pass game is going to get going a little bit. I'm going to go with Darius Lassiter. I think he's going to catch at least one deep ball. I bet he breaks through the secondary. I think we have one big passing play to him. And I think he's going to get the ball in space and be able to make some moves, get some yards after catch there. So I'm going Darius Lassiter, offensive player of the game. My defensive player of the game. This one's a tough one. I think I'm going to go, I think I'm going to go Malik Moore. I think he's going to have a good game ranging over the top. He likes to play that deep zone. He plays it great. I think SUU is going to try him a little more than they should, and I think he's going to come away with at least one pick. Uh, my final score predictions, I'm going to go BYU 38, SUU 3. I think they get three on the board. I think that's about it. And then my hot take of the day is I think that BYU will have two receivers over 100 yards receiving, which we passed for 145 yards last week. So I'm going to call that a hot take. I think that we're going to get two guys. I think Lassiter and Chase Roberts are both going to have big receiving games. So I'm going to go two receivers with 100 receiving yards. I would absolutely love to having passing game like that next week. So I, I do think that is a hot take based off what we've seen. But man, if we see that, I'm going to be thrilled. Now, this is going to be a great week, too, for BYU. Hopefully, we're you know expecting to see a good game out of us. Let's go ahead and switch the focus now a little bit outside of BYU, outside of our Cougars. Let's talk a little bit about some of the week one matchups that we saw and then some week two matchups we're excited for. So, week one, we saw some great games. You know, the best game of the week was absolutely TCU versus Colorado. Um, that could potentially be the game of the year. Even it was a crazy good matchup. Um, me personally, I kind of counted Colorado out. I wasn't completely bought in on Dion. I wasn't completely bought in on his son. I wasn't completely bought in on Travis Hunter. They completely shut me up. They made me, you know, completely wrong. And I'm actually just okay with that. This Colorado team is super fun to watch. They proved that with their week one win over number 17 TCU. That was a great game. That was actually the one I had mentioned last week that I was most excited to watch. 
And then we also had some other great matchups throughout the week. We had LSU and FSU on Sunday. Chris, that was your game of the week that you were excited to watch. Do you want to talk a little bit about that one? Yeah, absolutely. I Right off the bat, when LSU had that first play 60-yard run, I thought that they were probably going to have a pretty good game. They ended up getting stuffed at the goal line on that drive, and so that's when things started to get interesting. The game was actually pretty close right up until the end, about 10 minutes left in the fourth quarter. It was a 24-17 to game, and then that last 10 minutes, Florida State just exploded. They ended up winning, I think it was 45-24. to It looked like a blowout, and by the fourth quarter, they started to run away with it, but that was a very fun game to watch. I think Florida State is almost assuredly going to win the ACC, especially with Clemson getting manhandled by Duke this week as well. I think the road to the SEC championship runs through Florida State. Road to the ACC championship. (laughs) (laughs) Last week you mentioned that this game could potentially have playoff implications. And I think what it showed to us is that FSU is definitely in the running to be a playoff team. LSU, not as much. They still could if they run the table, but a little bit less so. And then also in week one, we had some upsets, which is always pretty fun to watch. It's always kind of expected a little bit in week one, just as teams get adjusted. But this week had some pretty crazy ones. Um, We saw Wyoming beat Texas Tech in double overtime. That was a fun one to watch. But the one that I think was even crazier than that was Texas State over Baylor. And the reason it was so crazy was not because it was an upset, but the fact that Texas State completely owned Baylor. Baylor had nothing going for them all game. Their offensive line did not play good at all. And it was kind of a shocker that they didn't because, as us BYU fans know, their offensive line coach, Mateos, is a great offensive line coach. It's not what you'd expect from his position group. But they got completely dominated. The Texas State quarterback went off. That game was actually very fun to watch. You know, hate to see a Big 12 brother go down like that. But it was a very entertaining upset to actually watch. I watched that one live because I didn't go to the BYU game in person. And that one kind of went right up until the, the end of it was right before the beginning of BYU. So I think a lot of BYU fans could have missed watching that game specifically. I watched it and I really enjoyed it because Texas State was going off. Yeah, and building off that Texas State game, I wanted to point out a couple things. First thing, kind of a fun fact between me and Dylan, we have an online dynasty in the game NCAA 14, and Dylan's team, Wyoming, upset Texas Tech, and my team was Texas State. And so both of our video game teams ended up pulling out upsets this week. And then one thing I wanted to point out about Texas State as well, they had 17 transfers in this transfer class. Almost their entire team is a completely different look, and it kind of just shows the new direction that college football is going, where you can build a good team from the transfer portal. And we see guys like Dabo Swinney at Clemson say that he's never going to use the transfer portal. What happened to Clemson? They lose 28-7 to to Duke. What happened to Texas State? They pull off one of the upsets against a premier Big 12 team. So there's just a new wave going around college football, and the transfer portal is, one, here to stay, and two, a crazy important part to building a good team now. And we even saw that with Colorado. A lot of Colorado, you know, came over with Dion from, you know, Jackson State, but also just from other teams in the portal. So a lot of Colorado was built from the portal as well. 
But, you know, I do think maybe there is a little bit of luck for us having these online dynasty teams. We're rebuilding them. So now I'm wondering why we haven't rebuilt BYU. Maybe that's what it takes to get us to that level of competition. Of course, that's a joke. I don't want to be at the level of Texas State. Now, jumping into week two, week two is one of the weeks this season where there's a little bit less of excitement around some of these matchups. So it was a little bit harder for me to decide on my personal game of the week. So two games that I'm kind of looking forward to for different reasons. Um, One game I'm looking forward to is we have number 20 Ole Miss at number 24 Tulane. And the reason I'm looking forward to this is because Ole Miss could be really good this season. They could be, you know, not quite the top of the SEC, but they could be mid to top of the SEC this season, depending on how they perform. And Tulane, we all know how they were last season. They beat USC in their bowl game last year. And this Tulane team is no joke. Um, Personally, I do expect Ole Miss to win this one pretty handedly, but it is at Tulane. So some surprises might happen in that one. And then outside of that, we also have Iowa at Iowa State. That's a rivalry game that I'm excited to watch for the first time as a Big 12 fan, just because I am very excited just to experience the environment in general. I'm going to make sure I tune in for that whole game. That one is going to be also interesting because Iowa has a very good defense this season. Iowa State, as long as they have all their players from... As long as they have all their players and not have some suspended from betting, Iowa State should have a pretty decent offense as well. So that one could be a great matchup as well. So those are the two I'm looking forward to between Ole Miss and Tulane and Iowa and Iowa State. And then my personal game of the week, this is the one that in the preseason I pointed out was my game of the year. And it is number 11, Texas at number three, Alabama. The game last year was very close. It was down to the wire, was won on a game-winning field goal by Alabama in a game which Quinn Ewers was hurt and could not finish the game. And so I expect Texas to be ready for revenge. expect them to be able to go into Tuscaloosa and to be able to put up a fight. I think that's going to be an absolutely electric game. I'm very glad that the BYU game ends right as that one's starting because I'm going to sit down on a couch and I am not going to leave until that game is over. So I'm super excited for them to go at it. This is another game with serious playoff implications for both teams. With Texas, a win over Alabama sets you up to really go all the way in a season. And Alabama and putting this on their resume would help them avoid last season where they missed the college football playoff, which feels like never happens for them. So huge game coming up, and I am super excited to see how that turns out. Now, I got to ask, as a new Big 12 fan, who are you rooting for to win this game? Because a lot of Big 12 fans are against Texas, but also a lot of college football fans in general are against Alabama. So I'm curious, who who do you want to win that matchup? Yeah, I'm going to take Texas on this one. First of all, I don't like the SEC. Alabama and Georgia are in it every single year. And as much as I don't like Texas, I did serve my mission on their campus, so I do have some connection there. And I would be I would be happy to see the remaining Big 12. I know they're leaving in a year for the SEC, but the current Big 12 to at least take one win over the high and mighty SEC. Well, I would have to kind of agree on that, sadly. I, it's rare that I cheer for Texas, but Texas fans, this is the one chance you get me on your side, probably ever. Now, it should be a good week for BYU, should be a pretty good week for college football in general. 
make sure you tune in next week. We're going to be doing our preview of Arkansas as well as our review of this BYU-Southern Utah matchup. Should be a good episode. If you don't already follow us on our socials, we are at Coog Talk Podcast on both Twitter and Instagram. You can also check out our website with all of our links. It's cougartalkpodcast.com. Make sure you go check that out. Give us a follow on our socials. Also, if you like this podcast, you want to support us, the best way to go about doing so is to subscribe or follow to the podcast on either Spotify or Apple Podcasts. We would appreciate that a ton. It's going to help us grow, help us bring more content to you all. Also, another plug with our social accounts. We are going to start posting maybe some hype videos, different content that we create. So if you want to see those, also make sure you follow our Twitter and our Instagram. Now, Chris, do you have anything else you want to add before we wrap up? Go Cougs. Well, we are excited for this week. We will see you all next week. And go Cougs. This was the Cougar Talk Podcast. Thanks for listening. 